Hi everyone, welcome to the Dance Science Podcast. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist, and the Dance Science Podcast intends to build connections and drive discussion on how we can improve our field and make dance science more normalized. Thank you for being here today and please enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, welcome to the Dance Science Podcast. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist, and in today's episode, the Dance Science Podcast is going to have its sixth guest speaker, who is Danielle Pinga, and she is a personal trainer who specializes in working with artistic athletes. So first, I just wanted to say thank you to Danielle for being here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Really excited to have this conversation today. So first, Danielle, can you just tell us a little bit more about your journey as a dancer and becoming a personal trainer? Absolutely. So as many dancers, I started when I was three years old. Um, and then I actually didn't start competing until I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of uh, catching up to do, but I always felt very stuck in my flexibility. And I was always mm-hmm. curious, like why that is. I work so hard, stretching all the time. Um, so then I decided to study biology in college. And um, as many dancers, I couldn't stop dancing. And I was very involved with the dance team and dance company. Um, I started going to the gym more, doing more strength training. And that's really where I started to feel more confident and more flexible. Um, Actually, after graduating um, with my bachelor's in biology, I studied at Broadway Dance Center all summer. And I was like, I'm going to be a dancer. I'm going to audition. I'm going to do all of this. But then I kept getting stuck loving my yoga and exercises Mm -hmm. class. Even though I love the dance classes, I was really always looking forward to those workout classes because it made me feel so good and so much better in my actual dance classes I was training in. Um, So that's where I became more curious and I started asking more questions and I was like, hold on, like, why are my knees hurting and my back hurting in ballet? Like something doesn't feel right. I feel like I'm missing something. Um, so then I actually became a dance teacher and working in uh, physical therapy. So I became an aide. I was working with numerous patients and it was a very active job. And I actually ended up hurting my back. And only at 22 years old, I was having bulging discs, sciatica, and um, it caused me not to be able to dance for a while. So then I was as I was in physical therapy, I was like, wait, why didn't I know what core training was? Why didn't I know? Like, why was I not introduced to all these specific training exercises so much earlier? Mm. Um, so then I was working at another physical therapy facility. And that's when the physical therapist is like, wait, your dorsiflexion of your ankles is off. And it's causing everything up the chain to, you know, tight hips, back pain, So that's when I became super curious and I did a lot more studies and I became a personal trainer, a yoga instructor, corrective exercise specialist, and a performance enhancement specialist, um, where I now train the dancer as a whole um, so that I'm able to provide them um, with things that I didn't know and I wish I knew at an early age. Yeah. And, you know, I can really personally relate to this conversation a lot because one of the things that you kept saying was you were curious, right? And that's, yeah, that's another thing that I remember about myself, too, is I was the one always asking questions, but they were more like anatomical questions, right? Can you kind of relate to that, too? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I remember being in ballet when I was in the more intensive ballet, like competitive dance. 
And I remember having a hard time breathing when I was dancing and I'd always be like, my upper back is tight. And like my ballet teacher at the time, she'd be like, okay, like let's help crack your back and let's have to do this. But it was like such temporary release. And I just was so curious. And when I was training at Broadway Dance Center even, I'd be like, I'd ask the ballet teacher, like, why do my knee, like knees hurt only when I do tendus to the side? Like everything else is fine. So I know you relate to that yes, curiosity. curiosity <laughs> yes. And then you were mentioning like, a lot of like the holes basically in the current dance training system. And again, it's something that I can relate to because when I did my master's in kinesiology, I really got to see how athletes are trained versus dancers. And athletes are just, in my opinion, that world is pretty far ahead of the dance world. And we have a lot of catching up to do. Like, you know, Absolutely. strength training is something that we both are passionate about for good reasons, obviously. And so I can relate to those, seeing those holes as somebody who is in, you know, the field of exercise science. So can you talk a little bit more about those holes that you see? Absolutely. So um, I always, my brain automatically goes to like baseball. So like when a pitcher, for example, is training, they're working like that external rotation of their shoulder. They're working that rotation. And then it's like, when it comes to dance, it's like, yeah, we do warm ups, you know, we work in our splits, but it's like, where's that specific? Like we're in turnout a lot. Where's that specific turnout training coming from? So I feel like there's just, a, we are very behind. I know it's improving slowly and more dance studios are becoming aware of like, they may not have all the answers and it's okay to reach out to other specialists yes. and get that training that's missing. Um, and then just like overall, I felt like when I was a dancer, you don't realize how much body awareness you need as a dancer for like, even example, like balancing on one foot. It's like surprises me just because I've been training for a while. It's like when I ask dancers, okay, what point of contact are we at the floor? And you'd be surprised where it's like my foot, like they don't have like that awareness just yet of like, okay, it's that tripod balance, the awareness of the arch of your foot. Mm -hmm. So I think just overall, the biggest hole is like that body awareness and anatomy, just mm -hmm. knowledge in general that I think training can really help change the dance world. Right. And then something I'm trying to push too is the fact that teachers don't have to be spending, you know, millions of dollars. There are like, you know, yeah. really easy things that can be done. And I think from a young age too. Absolutely. Yes. I have my youngest dancer is seven and she's just so like, again, it's just so curious and she, it doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to nope. be all floor exercises. We have so much fun doing like balancing yeah. exercises. It doesn't have to be a lecture. She has a blast. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be a sit down lecture. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Love that. So through your specialization in being or becoming a personal trainer, I should say, how do you see this contributing to the big picture of progressing dance science? I think that we have to realize that dancers are humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I feel like just progressing in like the dance science world is like we have to have dancers realize they're humans. Mm -hmm. A strong human makes a stronger dancer is what I always tell my dancers and my clients. And I think that having them become aware of what's healthy for their bodies mm -hmm. and um, how that can be contributing to their technique, it doesn't have to look like dance. And I feel like that's mm -hmm. the other biggest thing is yes. that social media plays such a big role in these dancers' lives. And I feel like when they come across something on Instagram that looks cool or complex yes. or anything like that, they're like, oh, I should be doing this. Mm -hmm. But with my clients, they'll like be like, Danielle, I saw someone doing it sitting in an oversplit with nine yoga blocks. 
that's not good for them. Um, so just having that awareness, I think, can create just healthier dancers as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because social media comes up with, like, everybody that I've been talking to recently. Yes. But, you know, in good reason, because I think it's something that we need to keep addressing. Because, you know, like you were mentioning, one of the other things that we have to remember is, especially when we're talking about young dancers, they don't necessarily have the thinking capacity that we do as adults. So, of course, right. it it logically makes sense when when they see those things on Instagram. They're like, oh, I should be doing that, right? If a, If another dancer is doing that, I should be doing that, right? So, obviously, they don't have the awareness like the adult brains do. Absolutely. So, then it's our responsibility and- to, yeah. To just like let them know about yeah, their body and just like them. what's safe, what's not safe. Yeah. And um, I love when my dancers say things like that. Like, oh, I don't think that's good for her. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so what advice would you give a student interested in pursuing your specific field? Because I think it's really important for us to be, you know, lifting and helping our students in this way. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is that you don't have to have a nine to five job. And I feel like when I was doing my studies in biology, I was really considering going to physical therapy school and um, because I worked in it for so long, I'm like, oh, like this is the next step. But then I realized like when I got hurt, I was like, I wish I knew this before. So it's like, okay, not to have a nine to five and um, something else. I think this goes for any career ever, but you're never done learning. Um, it's just so important to keep up with studies. As I know, um, you are big into research and I love just staying up to date and just making sure that we're all providing safe training. Um, and then just reach out. I've had many people reach out to me to be like, okay, like how did you get to where you are? And I feel like that's super helpful. Um, just talking to others in the field. Yeah. So from your specialization, what have you learned that you wish you knew as a young dancer? I wish I realized that we were athletes. That's like the biggest uh-huh. thing. I wish we I wish I realized back then about how physically demanding dance is mm. um, and just body awareness, as I said before, and just like understanding like, wait, the fact that I need to crack my back before every ballet class probably is not a good sign. Um, just like things like that. Um, when it comes to like specific training, it's like, I wish I knew that core isn't just crunches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish that I knew, like I was always so um, dominant in my quads. I was always so sore in my quads mm-hmm. all the time. And I wish I knew back then, oh, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should be training other muscle groups mm-hmm. or going back to what I said earlier about the dorsiflexion, I wish I knew I had to work on the opposite motion of that ankle so much. Mm -hmm. And so let's really peel back the term artistic athletes. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit more about this term? Yes. So when we are obviously artists, what we do is beautiful. It's entertaining. Um, But we have to realize that that comes with so much physical demands. And that's where the athletes comes in, where that we need to be doing exercises outside of our dance classes, or even during our dance classes too, if you have classes, but just things that don't look like dance. And I feel like that's where the athlete comes in is 
working on our bodies, becoming strong humans so that we are able to be a strong artist and a strong dancer. And it's all about finding the balance, hence my logo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it's always just about finding that balance between the artist and the athlete. Yes, because sometimes people will kind of come at others for this term and they'll kind of say, oh, you know, they shouldn't be called artistic athletes. They're just artists, right? Because they see it as like a disrespect to the art form. But what I'm, what we're both trying to explain to people is that it's actually just about finding that blend, like you were talking about, the balance and the blend between the two, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I know that some places out there like are still a little behind mm-hmm. and they really, like you said, like just see it as an art and um, as entertainment. Yes. But we, the dancers are known to get hurt so often, like the ankle sprains, the overuse. Um, so that's why I named my company Artistic Athletes is right. kind of just to push that narrative a little bit more mm-hmm. um, to realize that we are both and that we need to find that balance in the dance world. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So where can people learn more about you and how can they access your resources? So my biggest platform is Instagram. Um, I'm at artistic underscore underscore athletes. Um, and my website is artistic-athletes.com. Um, and you can also contact me there. Awesome. So I'll be linking all of this information directly on my website for you guys. So as a little wrap up to this first section here, if you just had to offer one tidbit of wisdom to our audience today, what would that be? Um, I would say is to, it's okay to reach out to other professionals. And I think that's like a very broad piece of wisdom, but I feel like if you feel like something's not right, reach out to someone, whether it is to a trainer, a physical therapist, a nutritionist, um, just listen to your body and realize that you don't have to be stuck where you are. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, I always felt stuck. I always felt not confident in class. Um, and I always thought it was because of my height. That's another fun fact is I'm only 4'10". Um, so, you know, I always felt stuck and not confident and I wish that I reached out to other professionals. So that's what I really would love to spread out, um, to the dance world. Yes. That it's okay to not have all the answers, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this little part one. Thank you. All right, everyone. Now we're going to get a little bit more detailed and we're going to get a little bit more specific into discussing Danielle's role as a personal trainer. Okay, so first, can you tell us a little bit more specifically about what you do as a personal trainer? Absolutely. So um, I provide training for dancers and um, I work one on one virtually And I also work out of the gym um, for my clients that want to work in person. Um, And I also do master classes at dance studios um, just to get that cross training um, to everyone. And what I really focus on with my master classes, especially, and for the first time, um, the evaluations is posture. So I really dive deep into, okay, let's just see how we're standing, how, you know, and that's usually like the light bulb moment. I feel like the first time I work with a dancer and it's like, oh, my arches cave in. I've never realized that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, my knees cave in. Could that could be why my turns aren't as strong? Um, so I really dive deep into the corrective exercise yes. um, component of training. 
Um, and yeah. And then from there, like I do exercises that don't look like dance, but if they have specific goals, so let's say their goal is to turn or to get their splits. I do spend time like the end of our sessions together, connecting that dance and fitness brain. Cause yes. I feel like making that connection is so important. Yeah. And I think that's good for them too, to kind of see that they're gaining like direct benefits, if that makes sense. Like if they're working on whatever that they're trying to work on, I think it's good for them to experience that towards the end. Absolutely. Yeah, like I my, again, like my favorite part are those like light bulb moments where like they had a hard time holding like a passe, for example. And then we worked with the arches, we worked the glutes, we worked the core, things that didn't really look like a passe. And then at the end, I'm like, okay, now hold your passe. And they're like, oh my goodness, like yes. that's all it was. And yes. So they get more excited to train when they realize like those immediate connections to what we worked on and then how it can relate to their technique. Yeah, because I have the corrective exercise specialist certification too. Yeah, and I really, really like that one. It's, it's great. I just I feel like it just, that. it gives you like a clear path to yes, certain things. Yes. Um, not everyone's the same. Not everyone's going to have perfect posture, yes. but um, a lot of those muscle imbalances can answer a lot of questions for dancers yeah. and their technique. Yeah. Cause I had my Pilates certification before, but I think that that one is kind of on a, on a whole different level in my opinion. And oh, I agree. Really, yeah. They're very far ahead. Yeah. I, um, my first certification was actually a yoga instructor. Um, so that one, I feel like I incorporate a lot in my technique, uh, training, like the breath work Mm -hmm. and trying to keep it fun and relaxing, um, for dancers. But I agree that corrective exercise one is where a lot of light bulbs went off. (laughs) A lot of connections for me too. So you kind of already told us about the services that you offer. So now can you get into what some of your challenges are? Absolutely. I think my challenges are the same thing as my favorite part of my job Mm. is that every dancer is different. Every client is different. Something that works for one person may not necessarily work for the next. So I think the biggest challenge is just finding the best plan for the individual. But again, it's also my favorite. I love um, like experimenting. I love when I find things that work directly with them. Um, and I find it's unique. It keeps things interesting. Like for example, if a dancer comes to me with like neck pain, it could be directly related to their breath. It could be directly related to their thoracic spine. It could be directly related to their core. So it's fun just to kind of dissect and find the best plan for them. Mm -hmm. So something that you said kind of sparked another question for me. So how do you handle if one of your dancers or one of your clients comes to you and says, you know, my teacher told me to do X, Y, and Z, and the teacher's advice, it isn't necessarily correct or might be a little bit harmful? Oh, that is a great question. <laughs> and I honestly haven't had too much of that, oh, um, which is great. I've had it a couple of times, um, but I really am push my dancers to ask questions. Mm. So like if they are receiving advice from another professional, I like to almost encourage them to ask like, okay, why? Like, how will this help me? Um, But I also haven't had too much of that. But if I do come across that, um, I think I would love to either talk to that individual and just see like where their training is at and what they find with that dancer, because they may see something I don't Mm. because sometimes dancers 
can show different postures, whether yes. in a dance class or in training. Like I've had dancers come to me and they're to have like perfect posture during it. And then I see a video of them in dance and like oh, things just like, didn't connect. So, you know, it may be something that um, I'm not seeing. Right. Um, so I think that relationship between the dance studio and like a trainer is so important. And like just having a trainer that the studio can trust to ask these questions mm -hmm. rather than feeling like they have to have all these hats, which I know you said in an earlier yes. podcast, yes. Um, is that it's okay not to have all the answers. Yes, because at the end of the day, we're not doctors, we're not, you know, registered dietitians, we're not physical therapists. <laughs> exactly. And like, I think the biggest thing for me that I think is an also another challenge is that when dancers come to me with pain mm. and I'm always like, okay, well, let's talk about this. And, you know, I have to know exactly when, okay, you need to go to the doctor. You should be seeing a physical therapist because as a trainer, we don't treat right. pain uh, or injuries. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's out of our scope. Yes. Yes. So can we talk a little bit more about social media? I know we were talking about this a little bit in part one, but what advice would you give to young dancers who are constantly seeing posts such as the one that we were talking about before with like the over splits? So my biggest thing, again, I love when dancers just become more aware and they understand like, okay, it's probably not the safest thing to do. And I feel like there's been many, many, many pages I've seen where it's just like, oh my goodness, like they shouldn't be doing that or like standing on their toes to improve their point and like things like that. Um, but my biggest advice is to look at their education. Mm -hmm. So if a dancer is coming across a page and they're giving like exercise advice, especially just take a look at their bio and like, just see if they are having certifications that have an education background. Um, I know it's so hard to dissect, especially when they're young, like, especially if they're like, this person can do 10 turns right. and they're doing so, it this way. Yes. I should be doing that. Mm. Um, and I think having a relationship with a trainer can help because they could send me a video being like, Hey, is this right? So I think having that relationship with someone who, you know, um, is educated mm -hmm. is super important. Yeah. Because another thing you touched on was looking at the people's credentials. And I think that's another thing that we can probably relate on coming from the exercise science world is like, that's a norm. <laughs> like yes. you're expected to be not only forthcoming, but you're expected to like show it on, you know, all of your platforms, basically what your certifications are. Like, it's just like a given. So when I see these pages with nothing, it, it's a little confusing to me. Yes, I 100% agree. And that's like always like the first thing I look at yeah. is like when I come across someone, um, either in my reels or on TikTok, I always like go to their page. And again, first thing I look for is just yeah. what their background is. And I think just having that tool for young dancers too yeah. and just understanding um, what they should be looking for um, is super important. But I know out there, there's could be just be like the young dancers that have that flexibility and they're like, and the little kids are showing exercise videos and it's like, don't fall for that. Like yes. whatever works for them could be working for them. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be working for you. Yes. And I think another thing that's hard when we're really focusing on young dancers is they may try those exercises and then it may improve their pirouette, pirouette let's say short term, mm -hmm. right? But yes. of course, you know, their brains, because of their development, they don't necessarily see like long term, what's that going to do 
to your hips 20 years from now, right? Yes. 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 And that's like, I came across a video recently where it's like an oversplit. Of course, there's always those oversplits. They're everywhere. And then on top of that, having like a resistance band around the foot. And then like this, and that it was so complex. A lot like, going on. Doesn't have to like what one? What's the goal in the video? Yes. That's like something else. Like I yes. dissect as an adult. It's like yes. what's the purpose? Look at their um, captions too. Right. Sometimes people, um, I'm sure you've come across this. It's improving hyperextension. And it's like, no. And it's like, no, like we don't want to. <laughs> no. We need to strengthen, like, if you're already naturally hyperextended, yeah. we shouldn't be sitting into that hyperextension. We should be strengthening the muscles around it. We should be working on that hamstring, the quads. And I feel like dancers feel like they need to be hyperextended in order to have success, especially like as a ballet dancer. Yes. And like, that's not how it works. And I feel like when other... um profiles or dance teachers out there or whatever their background is is promoting how to improve your hyperextension I think that could be really damaging and I think when we're really talking about dancers following advice from teachers I think there's like two categories of people that they're really really inclined to take advice from I think it's like former professional dancers they're really inclined Mm -hmm. to take advice from and then like Older ballet teachers, in my opinion, they're more likely to take advice from. But a lot of those teachers are really stuck in their ways, in my opinion. Would you agree on this? Yeah, yeah. because I feel like a good example is like you as a dance teacher, when you become a dance teacher, I feel like you have a lot of inspiration from how you grew up, Yeah, which you know, that's how we are educated, too, is like what we learned and how we can um approve that to other dancers so the shoulders down and back motion for example it's like yes your shoulders are doing that but that's not a great cue because then the rib cage gets out of whack so I feel like um I love this sounds funny but I love when people admit that they don't know the answer like when I was training at Broadway Dance Center when I was having that knee pain I went to the ballet teacher after and she was fantastic she's like you know what this is not my specialty and she's like, you know, reach out to X, Y, and Z. And it's like, that's what that's, I feel like we need to be doing more yes, of. Is being honest. Being honest. Yes. And admitting that you don't know. There's been times yes. where I'm like, yes, this too. is on my scope. I don't know. Yeah. You know, let me look for someone that can answer this question better for you. And I feel like it's a pride thing in dance, oh, too. 100%. That we want to know everything. Yes. We want to provide everything for our dancers because we, we all care about our dancers. Um, but I think just having that control of being like, okay, I don't know, let's pass this on to someone else is so important. I think it's actually a sign of, you know, strength. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we kind of talked about your challenges and what would be your favorite, favorite part of your job? My favorite is when they understand that they don't have to be drilling their technique over and over and over again to see improvements. Because I even just posted recently where it's like improving turns. And I know that's my, my go-to is always turns and splits because those are the most common ones. Um, but I asked them like, okay, what do you do to work on improving your turns? And most of the answers is actually practice, just practice. Um, and I think the best part is when the dancers realize like, wait, I was working on core and I was working on my hip flexors, I was working on my balance. 
And then the first time I did my turn today, I did double, you know, without a problem. And I think just having the dancers realize how strong and confident they can be in their technique is the most rewarding part. And just having them become so much aware of their bodies and realizing that they are an athlete and they are a strong human. Yeah. And I actually just thought of another thing that popped into my head because this just keeps happening today in this conversation. (laughs) But what if people come at you with the argument of my dancers have enough on their plates, they don't need to add a cross training, an hour of cross training, let's say. So the way I see it is that I know you spoke to a physical therapist in your past podcast and you talked about that, um, like the five hour rule and like the hour of cross training. I think that if you explain it as the more you introduce other things like cross training, the less chance are going to get hurt. So in the long run, you're actually going to be helping your dancers, not overloading them. And it doesn't have to be, you know, five hours a week if they're just doing their exercises. Like for my clients, especially in-season dancers, it's like it's three days a week. If they're training with me, they do their home exercises maybe two days just to keep whatever we're working on relevant, like glute strengthening, especially core strengthening, especially. And it doesn't have to feel like a tedious job. And I feel like everyone thinks like, oh, it's exercise. You know, I have to sit down and do it. Um, I actually provide an app where they could just see a video of me. They check it off when they do it, give them a high five at the end. It's like a little rewarding. I just think that if we push it out more that it shouldn't feel tedious. It shouldn't feel like it's something else on their plate. It's really making the dancer healthy. So it's providing more help than anything else, really, rather than adding maybe another class to their plate, take that time to do the cross training. Right. Because really, if it feels tedious to them, they're not going to adopt it long term. It's going to fall off the list easily. Absolutely. And that's why when I'm creating programs, I always try to keep it like under like eight exercises. Like if that, because they're so young, you know, they want to have fun. They want to do their exercises. Like we don't want to have them sit there and do 20 different exercises and be like, oh my goodness, I have to take an hour and a half out of my day to do this. It shouldn't feel like that, um, especially for young dancers. Yeah. And it's just unrealistic too. Oh yeah. Nobody wants to feel like that. No, I don't even want to feel like that. So kind of wrapping this up, could you just kind of give us one piece of wisdom that you've learned specifically from being a personal trainer? It's just that I I keep saying this because I just think this is like the biggest part of my job is that we are aiming to be strong humans first. Um, And then that will help you become a stronger dancer. And I think if we take time to realize like there are fundamental movements of life, there are things that we should be doing. And if we introduce this at a young age, we are setting these dancers up for success and not having to get hip replacements at 30. Um, So I think the biggest thing is you don't have to feel stuck. Reach out train and I promise the results will benefit you in the long run and again there are easy ways that we can be doing it from a young age right without Absolutely. sitting them down for a lecture right it doesn't have to be a five-hour crazy workout right there are easy no. ways that it can be sprinkled into their training absolutely yes Yes. like even if like it's sprinkled within like their warm-up like I know for a lot of my clients like I have a set warm-up that's beneficial for them Mm -hmm. that they'll do before they get into dance so that when they get into their 
dance class, you know, they feel ready to go for their own individual body. Yeah, because another thing I say sometimes is when I see dancers get injured and then learn about cross training, sometimes I'm like, well, I, it's better than nothing, but yes. they're basically pay, playing catch up at that point in their training and they're having to go back and it might be like double the work to be honest with you. But when it's embedded from a younger age, it's already something that they're used to. A hundred percent. Like, like I said earlier, like if I were just known that my calves and my dorsiflexion was so limited, I would have been set up. So from so much success, like I would have had, um, I don't think I would have had sciatica at 22. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't have had these. So things that I wish I, I knew. I think that's like the biggest thing too. It's like, I wish I knew this. So I'm giving you this tools, like use them. And, yes. um, it would just set them up to be a stronger human. And again, we're talking long-term here. We're not talking, you yes. know, improving your pirouette in five weeks. <laughs> no, that's just like an, I always say it's like an added bonus, like yes. improves your technique. Um, but yeah, it's a life thing, not just a dance thing. Yeah. It's like, how are you going to be grabbing things out of the fridge when you're 75 years old? Let's say. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much for this conversation today, Danielle. Oh, thank you so much. Love this. All right, friends, it's time for a little wrap up of today's wonderful episode with Danielle Pinga from Artistic Athletes. First, we talked about her background as being a curious dancer, and she was constantly asking questions, okay? Again, this is something that I can personally relate to because I was also very, very curious. And the curiosity for both of us led us into the work that we do today. Next, we got into unpacking the term artistic athletes, okay? It's a blend and it's a balance, okay? It's not about giving up one or the other, okay? It's not disrespecting the art form, okay? If you think dance science is disrespecting the art form, then I'm not sure if you really understand dance science because the whole point of dance science is to just find a blend between the two. Social media, okay? We talked about being really, really mindful and specifically we gave the tips of checking people's credentials, okay? If the people don't have any credentials on their accounts, I would steer clear of taking any specific advice from them, especially when it comes to actual exercises. She also talked about what services she offers as a personal trainer. Remember, she also offers master classes for studios. We talked about why strength training is important for dancers, making strength training fun. And this is really, really important Because if they see it as a chore, they're probably not going to adapt it long term, okay? We talked about also strength as a human first and not necessarily a dancer first, right? So we kind of use the little idea of, you know, imagine opening a fridge when you're 75 years old, right? And how do you want that experience to be like, right? Because dancers may see the benefits of maybe an extreme exercise that they see on social media, you know, they may see their pirouette, you know, improve short term, but what they're not able to see as a young dancer are the actual long-term things that can happen to the body, okay? Again, I'm just sitting here feeling a lot of gratitude because I really enjoyed this conversation today. Danielle and I have a lot in common, and I knew that before this episode, but 
it just feels better getting to talk to like-minded people. You know, I really feel a sense of community in these episodes and I'm just really, really happy to be here. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the Dance Science Podcast. I'm your host, the Dance Scientist, and if you really enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to leave a review. You can also rate this episode, and you can also send me a direct message on Instagram. Thank you for being here with me today, friends, and I look forward to seeing you in my next episode.